Welcome back to 50 Years of Fun. I'm Scott Miller. I'm Matt Roberts. This is the audio fanzine where we discuss the first 50 singles on Creation Records, a record label started by Alan McGee in 1983. If you're interested in tossing us a few pounds, a link for our Patreon is in the show notes. Today we're discussing Creation 8, The Jasmine Minx, Where the Traffic Goes, backed with Mr. Magic. This single was released in 1984 and was recorded by Joe Foster at Alaska Studios. Later on, we'll be talking to not one, but two Jasmine Minks, bassist Martin Kina and drummer Tom Reed. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about this single. All right. Just to let you know that it's extremely windy where I am, and there may be a, a very, very loud, creaky sound. So uh, if you hear anything ghostly and strange, just ignore it. It's that thing that spins on your roof. If you've always wondered what that thing that spins Spoiler on your alert. roof sounds like, <laughs> it hasn't been oiled in decades. Uh, all right. So let's start with um, where the traffic goes. Yes. Um, classic A-side. Classic creation A-side. Classic creation A-side. I mean, I can't say it enough. I've always been a Jasmine Minx fan, but as I listen to them, like I like them more and more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they're... There's something that's just so charming about them. They're like this. They're they're such an earnest band, you know. And and they're they're such a band that plays together. Like everything is played really well. Like that's why I'm really stoked that we're going to be talking to the guys in the band, um, because it's like they the two singers sing really well together. Um, they kind of play off each other. The guitars play off each other. The bass lines are for like, you know, for pretty straight up pop songs, kind of modish pop like the there's a lot going on the, the, yeah the, yeah always always and i think that something that you're saying about the singing is is there's some bands with the certain bands that have two singers where i never consciously think whether one person or the other is singing you know like they're there's they fit so well together i'm never like oh that's jim that's adam like it's not like the go-betweens where you obviously know or something like that you're i'm kind of just like oh that's just all one sound and it's not until after talking to Jim and after listening to him more and more that I now it's really clear. Yeah, you know his voice, right? Now totally I'm like, clear. oh, that's Jim. And it, yeah. and uh, this is like one of Jim's best singing singles. Like there's on Mr. Magic, which we'll talk about. He he kind of like emotes more in a. In yeah, a way this is cool. this is more like this is like a breathless take. I mean, so we we asked him, and so it, Adam wrote the lyrics to the song, and Jim wrote the music. And so that's that. I mean, that's like a proper collaboration as much as a musical collaboration, in my opinion, because I've, you kind of get this feeling that Jim approaches Adam's lyrics differently than he approaches singing his own lyrics. And because yeah, he's putting yeah. he's putting them to music and I, and he's it's like it's more not I won't say it's more important to him, but it just seems very like because they, they've talked about, you know, being impressed with Adam. You know, he seems like a big personality in his lyrics, but it's it, it just definitely seems like he's really. He's really feeling the the singing on this on where the traffic goes. Yeah, yeah, and um, on both sides, and also another thing, they both start with a very similar twelve inch intro. Twelve inch, twelve inch intro. Twelve string <laughs> intro. A See? very, uh, <laughs> very, uh, yes, uh, a twelve string intro, which is like kind of doesn't go with the song. Like they uh, both songs kind of starts with this like mellow. Yeah, it's giving you this idea though. It's this like jangly, jangly thing. Yeah, something. yeah, and then it like busts in with like uh, a really like tough drum roll. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, the drums on this song, this, this, the drums on this song are best Jazz and Minks drumming on of any song of theirs, I think. I mean, they're just, it's just relentless and it's really cool sounding. Um, start, you know, starts with the backbeat. And then, of course, by the end, when they go to that outro, he's just like going for it with these rolls. It just sounds like this take that you're, that you can feel by the, by the last roll. He's just like, this better be the one. Yeah. Or something. yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, I mean, again, like they don't get enough credit. Like this is a great rhythm section. Like Tom that, yeah. Reed is a ripping drummer. Martin Kina is like one of those guys that's always verging on being too busy, but it never bothers me. Yeah. Like I'm no, always right, right. into his bass lines. They're like very well thought out. Like they're a band band. They're great. I know. Yeah. And when we wanted to do this, this episode, you know, it's like Jasmine makes up four singles in the first 50. Okay. We've already interviewed Jim. Now we're interviewing two at once, which is which I was like, is that stupid? But we wanted to interview the rhythm section together. It just seemed like it made sense. Because it really of the way does. They play together. It, yeah, for sure. And 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 they're still playing together. Yeah, yeah, they're still buds. It's great. Uh, so so yeah, so so this tune can't say much about the lyrics. I can't fully understand them. It's 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 remind it's bringing me back to um to the Biff Bang Pow to the uh the second Biff Bang Power, I know every other line I can understand. So I don't really know what it's about. <laughs> there, I, I, it's like, I realized when I'm listening to back to them, I, I, I thought there were things they were saying, which I've always just like default thought. And I'm like, they're all wrong. Like, yeah, what, sure. what to what it's what I mean, I what, what, the, we can only go where the traffic goes for one. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> does that mean, is that about uh, conformity? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I look to the east. I look for God. I don't know. I don't know. I, maybe, well, maybe I need to go it. back and listen a little deeper. But maybe it is about conformity or and not being a conformist. Perhaps. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's definitely got. There's definitely like a punk sentiment going on. It's just the, the from the way it's delivered and the way and the certain lines that, that it's it's critical of something. We're not sure what. But well, more than any other band on creation, that like punk sentiment is like pretty tough with the Jasmine Minks like all the way through. Yeah, yeah. Well, what is the the scratched message? The outro, the the outro groove message on this one was was it? Does anybody remember punk rock? I think it says. No way. Uh, yeah. Th- thanks for drawing my attention to that. Yeah, you, I, once I started noticing that the, the most of the records have one, I'm like, oh, okay. Does anybody uh, remember punk rock? Like, I'm I'm yeah. seeing this for the first time in real time. Yeah, um, that's why we do this. Yeah, and uh, again. Joe Foster production. It's uh, funny to us that uh, the bands get interviewed and don't like it. But to me, one of the best parts of this era this is, and this sound is that a lot of these early singles are all recorded by the same person. And 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 something I've I, I, this is the theory I'm I'm developing is that the thing that separates a lot of these A and B sides on these singles, since the songs are all good, 
is it seems like the A side is what two thirds of the mixing session was spent on and the B side, the rest of the time was spent on because the mixing is what makes this song. Cause I mean, we love Mr. Magic. It, it may be a song I like better than where the traffic goes, but the production of where the traffic goes is all, it's so great. It's just like dancing around. There's always something going on. It's so good. And I, you know, that's funny. I haven't really, I have noticed that on, on the first single, I noticed that for sure. Um, but on this, I didn't notice that as much. I will say, um, over time, Mr. Magic has become, uh, my preferred song. It's really good. And, you know, honestly, like I, I listened to, I mean, I listened to it probably like 20 times in a row doing this and partially like just being like, well, I'll just get inside it. But also it's just, you want to start it over again. It's such a cool tune. I think you you have pointed out that that funny lyric about like uh, um, taking some drugs and not taking too much. Well, it's funny because I was <laughs> I was looking at, I was looking at the lyrics of this song. So this song is kind of a it's kind of a lyrical. We're talking about Mr. Magic now. It's kind of a lyrical mantra in that the whole lyrics for almost the entire song. I think I've got them right here. I know everyone loves the parts of the show where we guess what the <laughs> lyrics are, but I think it, I think I think he's saying when they break our arms. And they tell of today will change and come alive. It will be for the better. There's no life in the chords. There are no words from the heart. He says it over and over the entire first half of the single are just those lyrics. Even there's really? even almost like a, it's not a bridge part. There's, there's a melodic change where he still puts them in and then they do this breakdown. And it, I swear it's like they're re they're revisiting um, uh, work for nothing. So, because you know, there's those funny lyrics on "Work for Nothing" when he says, "I didn't think I'd smoke or drink it, whatever that the, that lyric is on there. What is it like? I didn't think I'd smoke or do drugs. And now this lyric is, if oh, you right, drink right. or take drugs, then you'll feel relaxed, but don't let it get too much, or the days are gone, or something and, like that. And it's remind just, me, and remind me which which guy wrote this song. This is all Jim. This is this one's all Jim. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, if you drink or take drugs, then you'll feel, or take some drugs, then you'll feel relaxed. It's so earnest. I love it. It's so, I don't know. That's just like a word that always comes up with them. For sure. Just, for sure. They're, 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 it's like they're, hard, they're, on, hard on the sleeve. It's not trying to be cool. Yeah, yeah. It, totally, totally. And it's like, you know, and this is the, you know, and, 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 and like we keep saying, there's such a band band. And, you know, this is on, I'm thinking about just like where this stands in the creation singles lineup. It's, this is the second single now that's got a, that's a repeat band. So there's two Biffing Powell singles. There's two Jasmine Minks and creation is sort of, I feel like becoming a late, these are becoming the bands that, that, you know, the stable. Are, uh, yeah. That are coming to represent the label in the sound. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, think about Mr. Magic. So I thought it might as like a diss song because of that. There is no, what is it? There is no, what in the chords again, or there, there's no heart in the, 
heart in the words um, and no there's no life in the chords there are no there are no words from the heart yeah so then i wondered is that like a dissing another band like it, it's it, yeah well it almost seems like when they say when 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 they, when they but then when they say with when they break our arms and they tell of today we'll change and come alive it'll be for the better it's almost just like you can knock us down and we're going to come back mm, better yeah, or maybe, that, i mean that's kind maybe, of what i thought maybe it's like, like it's like a fuck you to other shitty bands yeah, and, yeah i don't yeah, know and, and then the, the, the only time the song title comes in is the outro, the Mr. Magic Treats You Right, which yeah. is not, I can't really Maybe tell it's what, a diss against other to. bands that take too many drugs and are full of shit. Well, who yeah. knows? Who knows? Mr. Ma- Mr. Magic's coming along. I know. Yeah. yeah. yeah who knows? <laughs> uh, so, um, or maybe it's just a hatred for their local shitty drug dealer. Who knows? <laughs> uh, so uh, good artwork, right? Yeah. More another yeah. another chromatone, uh, yeah. and you know, I I just love all these. All the early singles just fit so well together. That simple zine style, not too yeah, many colors. Yeah, 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 right, right. yeah. fanzine style. There but is cool. actually like, three and the color. Colors, the colors but... are, are I, I I like it too because they've got the black and the blue writing, but you know, with the red and black, it's like, it's, it's the colors come in and out like really well. Like it's, it's, it's a really nice design. Yeah. This one is very simple and effective. Uh, and very. also one of the best things is that Simon down, uh, astute listeners will know him from pink label. Yeah. He plays on the first legend single plays on the first legend single that his phone number is on the back. Yeah, so the back of this single has there's more information on the back of this single than I think all the other singles combined. You've got the written arranged blah 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 produced even the engineer gets Noel Tom even the engineer gets a shout out. Yeah, maybe we'll uh, have to look him up. Photo by Lawrence Francis and then there's some information and it looks like they're using Creation uh is using the Rough Trade Collier Street address. Right. And then at the very bottom telephone Simon Down and his phone number. So yeah. Simon, so yeah, so so Simon, the pink label, excellent label, obviously. If you, I'm sure so many great. people listening will know that it started in '84. June Brides, McCarthy, Wolfhounds, not Petrol Emotion. Yeah. Um, so it's his phone number. Now you are led to assume that it must be to book the Jasmine Minks. It doesn't say for booking. It doesn't it's say management. Unclear. It just says a phone number. Maybe so. he just wants friends. Yeah, maybe we should give him a call. Well, let's give it a shot. And let's see, let's see if this number still works. Okay. Hi, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> First off, I just want to say I'm really glad that this number still works. Oh, really? Oh, of course. Yeah. That's great. So um, we have you on because your number is on the back of this record. And uh, we've, you know, we've been in contact a little bit since you ran Pink Label and you were involved in creation at the beginning. Um, but let's just start off talking about your connection to the Jasmine Mix. Well, um, it was something I had to think uh, quite a lot about, actually. I mean, um, in essence, you know, I, I, I managed the Jasmine Minks for a short period of time, but you have to put scare quotes around that managing because uh, <laughs> I, I, I thought long and hard about this. And I, 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 the only thing I could 
really think about actually doing and remembering doing was going down to Pronto Print, which was an old company that you know where you where you used to do printing and uh, creating a little brochure for the band. Uh, they had this, <laughs> this they had this sort of little logo called Glad Dog that then became a club that I used to run. You know, and uh, I remember getting this little brochure printed of the band. And um, I mean, in essence, I, I'm not quite sure what I did, but it, it, what I was really doing was gophering for Alan. Um, Alan, <laughs> he, he just loved to um, involve his friends in what he was doing. And I, th I think that because I was such a god awful bass player, uh, a musician, um, I think, you know, Alan wanted a role for me in the, the whole thing that was growing at the time with the with the Jasmine Minx. And he thought, well, yeah, yeah, he can sort of manage them, you know. And I think this was particularly with uh, Alan and the Mary Chain at the time. He was getting a lot busier. And the, the Jasmine oh, sure. Minx by that time, they weren't, I don't think they were happening in quite the way that Alan wanted, well, anybody would have wanted, including right, themselves. right. So, so, so I suspect that, um, yeah, I was just helping out, and uh, Alan was finding a role for me. You know, that that was what was happening. It couldn't have been for very long, and I don't think I made very much difference to their career. But uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I was. It must have been around that time that I'd started thinking about uh, the Pink Label as well. Um, met with Phil Wilson and the June Brides, and because. Um, Alan perversely, as I think somebody's mentioned on the show already, that uh, uh, he he perversely didn't you know didn't want to put the June Brides out, which I'm sure irritated uh, uh, Phil Wilson quite a bit. But yeah, it's so, it's I mean, it, they're such a good fit. It's it's surprising to me, and the records sound great. Yeah, I think it gets mentioned yeah. in at least one of the books about uh, that it would have been just too obvious or something for the June Brides to be on creation. <laughs> but it's it's, it's yeah. well, there's, that that's true. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was, it was slightly perverse. So, I mean, so there was a short period of time where I hung out with the Jasmine guys. And I mean, we always got on and um, they, you know, we all used to hang out at the living room at weekends. And um, and I was trying to sort of think about, well, did we socialise together? And yes and no, because um, London's such a big city and people live in different parts of it. So they'd have their local sort of socializing and then we'd sure. all go to the living room and hang out. So I think we did a lot of that. And uh, mm -hmm. I remember going down to the Alaska studios and hanging out with them. I did a Facebook picture. There's a picture up on Facebook at the moment with me sat in a recording studio with the G Jasmine Minx, uh, with Joe Musk, Joe. Oh, oh you're in that, you're in that, that amazing yeah, photo. Yeah, that's, that's, okay. That's, like that's, me, that's me leaning out going, you know, shouting and stuff. God oh, knows what doing. okay. And I think, and I think that was the um, Denmark Street recording studio when um, London Records paid for a demo for the Jasmine Minx, which may or may not have been used for a creation lease release. But that was that was a really exciting moment for the Jasmine Minx, and uh, and I was the only reason I would have been there was because I was managing them at the time. So. You know, uh, it's uh, strange, strange in that sense. But it didn't last long, and but we we got on, and they, uh, and it, but as I say, I don't think I I really did very much for them, and I I moved on. Um, I fell out with Alan and Dick uh, probably at some point around that time uh, with a um, I don't know if this story Ken Ken Popple may have told this story, but uh, I can tell it again. 
<laughs> Go for it. Yeah. yeah. Any yeah, well, we're, we're, what... we want every story. <laughs> right. Well, basically, what happened was uh, I was I was living with Dick Green at the time in a, a flat in Seven Sisters, which is in Tottenham, North London, which is just around the road from where Alan uh, used to live at Beaconsfield Road. And um, we had started Pink and uh, Dick and I had been living together for a while in a crappy little flat and uh, we got on all right. And uh, and then I think one night uh, at a farmer's boys uh, gig, it was a University College London sort of type gig, um, John and Damien O'Neill chatted to Paul Sutton, my um, partner uh, at, at Pink, um, and essentially expressed some frustration at uh, Alan running out of money and not being able to put them in the studio because uh, that petrol emotion would were were all sort of geared up to release uh, Keen uh, mm. on creation. For those uh, but, listening who aren't familiar, these are the O'Neill brothers from the undertones and that petrol emotion. Indeed. And, um, so I think I think you know Paul and uh, the O'Neill brothers had a bit of a chat, and uh, Paul offered you know like that we put it out. I mean, who wouldn't who wouldn't turn down? Nobody would turn down that opportunity. So yeah. Um, so Paul, either later that night, I probably was later that night. He 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 sort of said, "Oh look, you know we're going to do this," and I thought, "Oh shit," you know. <laughs> 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 and, and anyway, I think probably. That sort of got filtered around this gig, and by the morning, I, you know, almost Dick, Dick didn't talk to me, and uh, you know, there was, a, <laughs> there was, because I mean, there were some personal connections to do with, uh, you know, um, the O'Neill brothers and Dick, and and it was, it was a really bad time, you know, and I mean, mm. in that sense, but we just felt that we didn't, we we couldn't turn down this opportunity. Mm. Uh, I remember. Um, meeting you know the o'neill brothers with dick at a pub uh in seven sisters and it, you know sat there it's 1983 or whatever it's four four it would have been yeah. and you know a couple of years before this the you know the undertones were on top of the pops and i was sat there yeah. i was 20 right. 22 years old or something you know uh so so we did that but then obviously my connection to creation uh, was was sort of broken, you know. I mean, yeah. uh, I mean, it, there wasn't any great hostility, but I didn't involve myself with with those guys anymore. And uh, some very by, icy and, mornings, and some very icy mornings <laughs> yeah. in the kitchen yeah. as you're making your toast and coffee. Yeah, exactly. It was only, it was only about four weeks actually because I I just uh, got a more got a mortgage and bought a house. We were in the process of leaving anyway, but yeah, it wasn't a good time and. Um, and it sort of it's a bit sad in that respect but uh but then we got to put out the uh the that petrol emotions first single so i was really pleased and proud of that and uh so yeah life went on as it were that's kind but, of remarkable um, to be like uh this tiny label that hasn't and wait you had put out one record before this right wait there were three 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 a couple records, a couple, uh, a couple uh, two, june rides two rides and one the ringing. The ringing yeah that's right? right yeah well that's pretty incredible to be a, a a label of that size putting out the band after the undertones that must have been yeah. i could just just the ability <laughs> to do that must have been kind of uh intimidating um yeah i don't i think i was probably more intimidated by you know the knowledge of 
uh, falling out with Dick and Alan, who, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I'd been really good friends with them for three or four years before that. So uh, I think that was more of the worry. But yeah, I mean, certainly, yeah, yeah, it just seems a bit crazy at the time thinking about it now. Yeah. I mean, it was very interesting. So, um, yeah. And so, I mean, I, I was noticing this, this this number on the back of the record here. I mean, it doesn't doesn't specifically say call for any reason. It's just your number. <laughs> so I was wondering, do you, I mean, do you have any, do you recall if anyone did, did people just call it? I mean, or is that? <laughs> I don't recall that at all. But, you, you know, I think that we have all, you know, forgotten how important was the, the phone was, you know, I mean, yeah, we, we did sure. all yeah. of our business on the phone. So I think that, you know, I would, I wouldn't phone anybody up now, you know, at all. It, it'd be a weird thing to do, but people right. did do well, that all the time. So I don't know. That was um, that would have been, yeah, that would have been the Tottenham flat. Actually, uh, I'm pretty certain. So my number changed pretty quickly after that. Anyway. So. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, I mean, going going back a bit. I mean, I remember um, there's there's some actually rather interesting photographs uh, about um, the the Smiths Greater London Council. Uh, there was a festival held on the South Bank in London. Uh, the Smiths played, the Redskins played, and lots and lots of other bands. And I remember this was a big day out for well, all sorts of people, but certainly for creation. Uh, and it's got some really good photographs with Alan, oh, Dick, yes. me, the, the Jasmine Minx, and uh, the Jesus and Mary chain, and, and all of that. And, uh, and I just thought of, it was really interesting looking at those photographs and thinking, yeah, wow, this was quite a little community at the time, you know. It was interesting. Yeah, it's so, showing up in mass. So yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, I think in so, the moment I a mean, lot of these things we don't really think about that that but then you can look back on times in your life where you're like, "Oh yeah, that was a that was a real scene." Like they there were like a group of people that yeah. were all working together and doing these things that maybe in the in the moment it wasn't as clear. No, absolutely. And I mean, I think if I go back a little bit to um, I mean, I I played on the first ever Creation Records single with uh, the legend and Patrick yeah. Fitzgerald and so forth, and um, and that you know again that was another example of Alan, um, yeah, just sort of being generous, you know. Um, he he didn't he didn't need to have me on that single. I could barely play the bass guitar. I I auditioned a couple of years, no, a year before that for. The June Brides, as it happened, but you know, I went down <laughs> to see Phil, meet Phil, and uh, audition for Phil in that band. But I mean, I was nowhere near good enough. And um, but but Alan, you know, he put me on a record, and you can hear, I think, "Melt the Guns" or whatever it's called. You can hear like a bum note on that record, and that's, that's me, you know. I mean, I, <laughs> and it's just hey, crazy be- that, that. Yeah. I mean, you're gonna play a bum note on uh, anyone's record. <laughs> yeah, but that's 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 what Alan was like. He was very, you know, for some reason, for such an easy, egotistical guy, he was very, very keen to have a, you know, a crew around him uh, that was doing all this and to be, to be just more than just him, working away. And and it was a very collective sort of thing. But he he was always the boss in that sense. And Alan and I, you know, we uh, we went back to. I met Alan through Ken Popple, who you spoke to on Biff Van Pal single earlier on, and he told you some of these stories as well. And uh, so I would use. I used to go with um, Ken to Laughing Apple recordings and gigs, 
and I met obviously Alan and Andrew through through that, and those relationships continued on. And um, yeah, and Alan and I, you know, for 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 a while, we were pretty uh, we were pretty tight in the sense that, uh, like uh, Jerry, who I knew reasonably well at the time, I don't think we ever particularly got on that well, but um, but we would all pile around Alan's house in uh, Seven Sisters. Um, <laughs> this bunch of these weird guys, you know, uh, and his poor, poor wife Yvonne, you know, having to put up with these <laughs> yeah. people playing music and yeah. playing music. He's on the couch songs. tonight. <laughs> yeah, it was like it was just really, really interesting uh, that 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 scene at that time, and and it was, but it was more than interesting because things were happening. You know, I mean, uh, I think you know, Alan had come down, Andrew had come down, then Bobby Gillespie came down, and 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 you know things were slowly getting moving and i think i can't remember who it was now that was talking about you know when the laughing apple finished and that was dave dave evans who's another good friend of mine um right. and um he was talking about or what somebody was talking about on your show about that period when the laughing apple finished and then the creation was getting started and Alan mm-hmm. was coming up with all sorts of weird and wonderful ways of doing things, making money and so forth. I mean, he even tried um, a um, to develop a an OI record label. I mean, this we is, know. You know uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yes. There's, the there's only two releases stuff. on it, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, Alan and I were, I've still got it upstairs somewhere. We, we were going to be doing that together we had a contract drawn up and everything what's it called that, it starts with an a the uh, label? Uh, artifact no essential yeah. essential it was essential oh okay I okay it was essential, essential yeah. which was the when we make um, some bootleg merch we're gonna make uh we'll make we're gonna make a <laughs> shirt of that of the fruit yeah. I, i'm glad that finally yeah. came up because I, I when i read about that as a label that he did after i guess it was after the label so so the the laughing apple stuff he put out and then he yeah. did the oi stuff and then creation that's a that's a that's really right important. yeah yeah and that's and the oil stuff or it was sort of round about the same time as uh, the legend single you know I think he'd realised that the money he thought he was going to make um, from that, I that love scene that I love that's really funny know. that that's a, mostly a yeah. financial decision. and and you know it's also funny you know. because it's like while a lot of you know there's so much terrible oil music and for various reasons but there's like the 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 element of like um energy and sing alongness actually kind of does filter into some creation stuff but it's very oblique so it when you really yeah. look at it it's not that crazy but it just seems absurd when you first hear about it yeah 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 no, absolutely and i think i mean alan you know he was clearly we were all very very young i mean alan worked for the british rail as a clerk i think and um I mean, you'll remember this yourselves, you know, you're sort of searching and you're trying to make the right decision, you know, and I mean, at, at various times at that period, you know, Alan was sort of fairly newly married. He would have been thinking about like, well, is this the right thing? And, you know, and I guess he was looking for ways, because, you know, you needed to make money. It was expensive living in London. Yeah. I mean, the flat that Dick and I had was a, was awful, you know, and I mean, we couldn't afford anything more. So I think that, um, you know, that that balance about, you know, thinking about, you know, making money, keeping things and, and creative hopes. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Was something well, it's a Alan, hustle. Alan was, yeah, yeah. So well, he I think seems that, like um, he just wanted it so badly that he just forced it into existence almost. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, and Alan was a force of nature in all sorts of other ways. You know, I've never met anybody that had so much self-belief, you know, sort of uh, ultimately that he would just make things happen. I mean, I was listening to your show with uh, Jerry, uh, the legend, and um, yeah. something he said about the music industry, about, um, you know, you're not just going to have the bullshit, but you've also got to, you know, you got oh, what was it? He said he, he said something really, really interesting about bullshit. And I, right, I, 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 I know what you're talking really about. Yeah, make, making it happen as well. You, you, you. If you said I'm going to get Morrissey to turn up to this gig, you know, you had to get it to happen as well. You, <laughs> you can't just you know, be that, bullshit. Alan, yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> You, you, I was just wondering, you know, uh, Dick Green is still evading us, but I, I have, as since you're here, you may have some insight into this. You know, one thing that has sort of come up is, do you think that Alan needed Dick for this whole operation to work? For the whole what, sorry? For the whole operation to work. Do you think he sort of needed someone who was solid or, or you know, not as... Uh, I don't know. All over the place is one. I'd yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get, I get, I get the question, and I mean, I, I think undoubtedly yes, because um, I mean, I wasn't around, but as the as the label grew, uh, I know that um, you know, rock and roll started uh, getting in the way as well as being an, an inspiration, <laughs> and I know that. I mean, you would have read the book. I mean, I don't think I have read the books. But I mean, I know that Dick. Uh, you know, he he was the guy that ran the show when it got to be a sort of pro professional thing where people were being employed. And I, and I know in, in my heart of hearts, having had that for a short while before Dick came down to, he was at university before and then he came down, uh, met, you know, hung out with Alan and me and Ken and Dave Evans and all this. And we, you know, hanging out. I think that um, Alan obviously saw something in Dick, um, you know, that, that I, I mean, I was quite sort of, yeah, I mean, I'm, I was I wasn't probably as dependable, that's for sure. And anyway, I fell out. But I for a short period of time, Alan and I were quite tight. But it probably was a really, really short period of time. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously, Alan, you know, did really pretty well by Dick um, because Dick did run the label through that period that I wasn't part of with mm -hmm. the, um, you know, the, the the primals and Oasis and and all the rest of it, which uh, it just you know obviously amazing when you think about it but but and you guys i guess probably wouldn't be doing this if it hadn't have become you know what it did become and i think dick was a really core central part of that because i mean I, I think it's on the public record in those in the books that alan had a had a, a sort of difficult period for a while mm -hmm. during that oh yeah that for period. quite some yeah. time it seems like yeah yeah going yeah. going back a little bit um you know when you're all when this is you know, just really kind of starting uh, post oil label <laughs> or around that period. Was there like one band or a couple of bands that this, uh, that everyone was just like really, really excited about that um, sort of was like holding this together, like as part of this scene? Yeah. I mean, the thing that, the thing that really changed it, absolutely the thing that changed it was the Mary Chain. Uh, I remember the, I think it was above the Roebuck uh, little room in the, in the Roebuck. And there, there was, this was a, this would have been their first gig and uh there were literally seven people i think jerry mentioned this the legend and uh uh it was definitely him there me there alan and uh it was yeah blew you away because it was just so different and powerful and unreasonable <laughs> it was a really yeah. unreasonable sort of 
thing to look at. There were so many edgy bands around, you know, Three Johns, the Mekons and all this sort of stuff, the Nightingales even, but the, the Mary Chain were just unreasonable and they were yeah. also very poppy underneath that. And um, the Mary Chain changed everything. Um, yeah, I remember there was um, Neil Spencer. There was another gig at the Three Johns pub in um, in uh, the Angel in London and uh, that was the sort of second or third gig. And I remember Neil Spencer, the uh, music journalist that wrote the uh, C86 and all that. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember I was chatting to him afterwards and I came up with the, I came up with the line, uh, they're like the Ramones meet the devil. And uh, he bloody <laughs> stole it from me, the bastard. <laughs> which which, which he, he apologised for, uh, actually, about 30 years later when he, when he interviewed me for C86. So, uh, but yeah, no, the, the Mary Chain, I think, the Mary Chain changed everything because people won't remember, but the first Primal single, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it, it, yeah, I mean, if you're into it, but it's not, it's not as impactful as uh, Upside Down. It just isn't, you know, it, it doesn't have Well, yeah, that, I mean, there's, for, that, for whatever reason, yeah. yeah, the Mary Chain just makes you want to start a band. And they're a band that it's, it's when you hear it, it's after you're, you know, you've picked your job off the floor, it seems very, why didn't I think of this? Mm. There's almost, you know, it's so crazy and yeah, obvious yeah. at the same time. You know, that's that's yeah. how I've always felt about them. Yeah. Now, and, for the Jasmine Minks, they, they strike me but, as a band that, that was maybe like creation was really trying to, like push the hardest almost. I mean, they've got four records in the, in the first 50, which is more than any other band. I think ultimately, you know, because the Jasmine Minks were a really, really tight band. They really did impress. Uh, they impressed sort of A&R people because I mean, the, the sound that they were making and sure, a lot of bands were making at the time, you know, they, they, you know, yeah, they sort of like A&R people from bigger labels could sort of see the potential with them. And, um, you know, but ultimately, I guess it just didn't happen. And I don't know why that is. But, um, but yeah, the, the Jasmines were a really, really good live band. But, I mean, I, but as the guy said, their record never really cut that. I mean, you could watch the Minx sometimes and, and really believe that they were going to be a super big band. Uh, mm. but, but they didn't become that band. But, um, but they always had the potential. But I, I guess it partly down to the maybe it's the songs i don't know uh the the, the jesus and mary chain had that sort of gary glitter sweet slade sort of you know yeah, keep it right. simple like beach boys direct, yeah beach boys that their songs were just much more to the jugular you know they, they there was no it was just so obvious but it was obviously brilliant and um i know the famous um ambulance station gig that, that that turned into a riot you know that that yeah. night was really revelatory for all of us people that were involved with creation in the sense that oh my god you know this is actually real this is happening this isn't just yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know people playing in their bedrooms and crappy little places of rooms you know this is actually really happening and uh and that was very exciting and i mean i you know my memories of the jasmines they 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 were they were such a such a good band, and then then of course you got the Loft as well, and they were really really yeah. They're another band, band that to, it seems like yeah, and they, the, and they did go on to have I guess a bit more success than the Jasmines. So I don't know what happened with the Jasmines, but they did pretty well. And uh, as I said, I I learned the other day yeah. 
listening to the the the, the, the interview that they um they're still going, which is good for them, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think the thing that's yeah. different from all the other bands is that they're a band band. It's like they're, you know, other than Adam leaving, like they've been a solid crew of guys that were friends from, you know, early days, some of them well before the band began and they're still friends now and they play together as a band. Mm. And uh, so it actually makes sense that they've continued playing on. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I've sort of, uh, yeah, I've still got a lot of our records and, uh, was it Cold Heart? I think is uh, one of the it's classic. Really, is that, yeah. is that one of their tracks? Yeah, we'll get yeah, that. Right. We'll get to yeah. that in a year or so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, you got a you got a long way to go. That's for sure. Yeah, they're yeah. a hard band. Long, Four arduous road before we get to Cold <laughs> so, Heart. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, yeah, I was thinking about the arduousness of your road. I was thinking about the. Yes. Uh, Shardaz single in particular. Oh yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I have uh, anxious worries about even approaching that whole single. I hope he. I hope we can talk him well, into coming on. I mean, if he wants to talk well, shit, we might have to pay him. him. <laughs> we might have to pay him. Yeah. Yeah. I know. yeah. Well, I've got one <laughs> one story about that guy, which you could probably oh good. And, I don't know put yeah. in something, but um, he used to work for Rough Trade. He was like a shelf filler or he probably had a more important job i than never that. I knew that name, to be honest. I, th- I can't remember <laughs> his name and it may not be the same person but i'm pretty sure it is uh what was his name do you remember or do you i know? mean he goes by zero baby on the on the tronics record it, what's weird i know right, it and okay. i can't remember his actual name anyway yeah, right but anyway the yeah. guy he uh, pretty certainly worked at um rough trade uh in the warehouse and uh i remember we were t- we were chatting one day about the um uh how no, no, uh link ray link ray and how good he was and uh and i lent him my uh my beautiful original copy Uh-oh. of that yellow sleeved <laughs> rumble album mm-hmm. and the bastard never gave it back so <laughs> when you talk to him you could tell him i'd like that album back <laughs> It's 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 funny how that stuff sticks with you. There's a couple of records where I'm like, I remember lending that record to that person, and then we kind of had a weird yeah. exchange, and I'm never gonna get that record back. Yeah, actually, I, mean, I don't, I don't do it. Know. I don't lend records anymore, but I used to all the time. <laughs> actually, no, I've got I've got the I've got the record wrong. That was some other bastard that I worked with. But the record is actually <laughs> the record is actually um, the third man. The Graham Greene film from the 1940s. Anton, what's that? Uh, Anton's, anyway, it was that album. Orson Welles is it and, in uh, that. No, it, it the... yeah, the Orson Welles film. Yeah, right, right. With Anton's, anyway, it was a great piece of music and I lent that to him and he, he never got that back. <laughs> anyway, we probably digress. That's okay. <laughs> no, no uh, this is all about digression. And uh, so, so uh, was there when you had to falling out? Did they actually like tell you to fuck off? Uh, no, it was there was there was definitely uh, there was weeks of silence uh, in the flat with me and Dave. Oh God, I, I do remember that, and uh, <laughs> and it, it was it was painful, but I totally understand and understood at the time, and I, I there was because of some of the personal connections between Dick his friends and the O'Neill brothers. I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't a great thing to do, but um, it was something I felt that I couldn't not do, if you know what I mean. So, and I didn't see Alan for years, actually. Uh, I mean, literally years and years and years. But I don't know. I 
don't know how Alan felt about it. I don't know because I was doing pink quite a bit anyway at the time. I don't know if I was hanging out that much with Alan at that point anyway. So, um, but I've seen Alan since he's fine. I've seen Dick since, you know, we're fine now. It's sort of, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you have to, I mean, talk, did you have to like... talk about it or was it just like, Hey, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I may have brought it up once over a beer or a couple of glasses of wine with Dick, and uh, <laughs> I, I sort of apologised, I suppose. But for what it's worth, I mean, it, 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 but it was it was sort of you know when when you're that sort of age and you're doing the sort of things that we were doing and having the hopes that we were having. I mean, right. I, I had everything's moving so job, fast, you know. Yeah, and it, it was it was sort of important, you know. It really was. I mean, you hadn't you'd only been like what 16 17 18 you hadn't lived life that long and therefore not many things had happened so it was a big deal right I mean, it, sure. and it, it yeah. all meant a lot to us so mm-hmm. um yeah you know but it's just the fact that they were from the undertones i mean that's it's more it's about more than just the song almost just like we would have put out a band with guys in the undertones i mean that's that's huge yeah no absolutely and i mean it was uh yeah i remember Paul's face, you know, Paul Paul Sutton's face, you know, coming up to me, he looked as though, you know, he got, you know, won a million dollars or whatever, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was certainly a moment, and uh, yeah, it's really, really interesting, the whole thing, that that period of time, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Did um, so um, before we let you go, we might as well ask, what's your favorite record on Creation? <laughs> right well i've listened to another enough of these podcasts now to not be oh 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 about it i i have <laughs> oh oh you've caught me by surprise uh no, I have a, are I you have insinuating a, that they're uh, pretending uh, that they don't know <laughs> i i have no idea i have no idea i'm i'm not being caught by surprise but no i have an absolute firm favorite and that's the uh, momus and uh murderers Interesting. Me and Matt are, are of a two minds about it. I love that single, and Matt's not a fan. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll, see. I, well I, we'll see. If I listen it, to it enough, it might grow on me. Well, I mean, I was a fan at the time. I think, I mean, thinking about, you know, even at that time, I mean, Ken and I, we talked, Ken Popple, we talked uh, quite a lot about this. Even back in the day, I think Ken and I, we had quite a more eclectic musical taste than than um some of the people around us and uh and certainly the momus um well i bought um the um previous album circus maximus and so i was quite an l i was really into l anyway all of the oh L sure stuff. okay yeah, and he was a um so Marden, Marden hill and all those sorts of bands mm-hmm. i loved all that baroque right. l is so cool pop stuff and and the murder is single i mean i just it's something I still play. It's like it's been a constant throughout my whole musical, and I just astounded by by how yeah interesting the lyrics are. Yeah, how the, lyrics, the, music the lyrics are fantastic. Yeah, I'm you know I, 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 I'm not very good at remembering, but um, that's, but seriously, um, that is just brilliant. That single, I, I love all, all. I think it's three tracks on it, and I think they're all all genius. So that's my yeah, favorite. That was, when, we were buying, you know, when I, this, I was in high school and that came out. So we were buying things on creation at that time um, as they were coming out. And that's definitely a record that it sounded different to me than other creation stuff. And I didn't know what to make of it at first. And I mean, I was thinking just mm. the creation because it was on creation. I listened to it until I loved it. And that's sort of, the, you know, one of the powers 
that label good labels mm-hmm. have. You're like, well, there's got to be something here because, mm-hmm. but it right, doesn't sound exactly. like the Jesus of the Mary Jane. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, I suppose if 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 I was looking for a more creationy type of thing, I, it would be upside down. I guess I mean, that that's just a yeah. very powerful record. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, yeah just, that really really changed. The kind of, it's almost it's almost like we should start asking people. Besides <laughs> upside down, what's, what's, your favorite, what's your favorite record on creation? Uh, and then, well, <laughs> oh, and really, when, I, I haven't thought of that. And then, why? And then, while you're here, what's your favorite record on Pink? Oh, mm, didn't prepare for that one. Oh, I, yeah. I did not Gotta prepare. Keep one. people oh. on their toes here. Um, uh, you, it's right, okay well, if you need to look up though, the catalog. We can edit that out. No. <laughs> it's not like I've got so many to choose from, but. Um, no, that's an, that is an easy one, and that is Franz House. What a great song. So we're talking about McCarthy. Yeah. I, mean, I just thought of, yeah. I mean, I, um, of all the music that we put out, Paul, and I had to say Funky Ed, my brother as well, who I think this is his first mention on the show, but he's he was very much all part of all this as well. And he's been helpful and, to us um, as well. Yeah, yeah, he, he mentioned that. And um, Ed, Ed Down, my brother, and he, uh, I don't know why I mentioned him. Yeah, it was me, Paul, and ed that sort of ran pink he was a silent partner and um yeah of all the, the music we put out i just I, I still listen to mccarthy which is not the case with the other stuff i mean i i find so even like the june brides these days I, I yeah it doesn't sound as good as i want it to sound you know um i love yeah, that. i love those singles those singles those june bride singles were huge for me when i was younger i always yeah. loved them and, but yeah. uh i i certainly know that for some people they it hasn't stuck with them i get it and it and it's interesting what the, the the minks were saying about their records in the sense that some of the recordings somehow they transcend because they're not none of them were particularly well recorded but some of the singles transcend that and some of them don't oh, and, right. uh, I, hear you. I think the, you know and i think the june bride singles weren't for me they didn't somehow trans- transcend that poor quality recording that we we didn't have any money you know and uh and i think the minks you know the minks suffered from that as well i think if they could have had better recordings uh back in the day uh it would have it would have had more of an impact at the time it's funny but, right it's funny we love Joseph Foster's exactly. production so much, and and everybody's like, "Oh, it sounds like shit." <laughs> like, what? I think I think well, that, that is is because like from our angle, I think that was actually part of the appeal of creation was you know when listening to a lot of other stuff from this era, especially during the early creation era, like eighty three, eighty four. 
there's so much like big production happening at that time that actually this stuff sounds really refreshing because it's all eight track, 16 track, some some it's right four track. Yeah, it, that's really appealing. That was really appealing to us when we first heard it. But I get for maybe people at that bam. time looking back, they're like, these sounded like shit. Yeah, it's part of the creation aesthetic <laughs> to me. This is the sound. Yes, I mean, it's what exactly. sets it. It's, it's why it's in its own orbit to me. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's I'm sort of thinking back. Joe Foster to, did record that June Bride single, right? The, I think he recorded he, the first. Did, yeah, I guess I guess he did. He did everything. Okay. Maybe well, that's I, your I, issue. It's going to be uh, slightly, slightly, uh, in some ways, and I, I think you've heard this before. You know, Joe's uh, producing. It was a bit like my managing. You know, of the <laughs> yeah, <week. sure. laughs> I You know, it's sort of a bit hit and miss, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, somebody on your show recently talked about the actual process of that. And we were all learning, you know, whatever it was we were learning. And uh, but yeah, no, there was uh, some great some great moments and some great music still. I mean, and it's interesting having listened to some of your shows, a lot of your shows now, that there's some sort of pretty consistent themes coming out and one of them yeah. is that you know the quality of alan's songwriting for instance you know that somebody probably probably jerry jeremy Je jeffrey lewis jeffrey lewis needs to do an alan mcgee songbook album or something you know i i <laughs> exactly so it's like it, it is it is the one of the things uh that we have sort of made a point of bringing up which is that's something that has always stuck out to us that it's one of the highlights mm -hmm. Uh, and very underappreciated, along with the Jasmine Minx, honestly. Um, mm. So mm. certainly that's going to keep coming up as long as we push push it. Yeah, and I've gone back to the Biff Bang Pow stuff that, you know, I uh, when I sort of uh, split from creation, uh, I stopped getting the records free, or as many yeah, anyway. Yeah. And um, yeah. so I didn't get some of the later <laughs> Biff Bang Pow records, so I never really heard them. But um, I, I listened to some stuff of theirs from Oblivion recently. And, and like yeah. as Dave Evans said, I mean, it's a pretty bloody good album, you know? I mean, there's a lot of brilliant songs. Yeah. And some yeah, of the songs are really, really old, as, as you know now. Yeah. Well, he loves, he recycles. They, they definitely recycle stuff. Um, yeah. But no, I kind of like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really, really good. Anywho. All right. Well, thanks so much for, for coming oh, on, Simon. We're really, it's been uh, great. We uh, hope to have you back and when we can focus more on pink one of these days on the pink label. Um, mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. you're in, obviously you have an uh, important piece of this puzzle and we've uh, it's been great talking to you and we uh, thanks again for coming on. Yeah, well, good luck with getting Dick, and good luck with getting <laughs> Alan and the Reed brothers, and, and all the rest. And of zero, baby. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks again. Bye. Bye. This is my secret tin, my very own secret biscuit tin, and nobody, but nobody, opens this tin except me. I keep it for my favourite biscuits, like these, Huntley and Palmer chocolate digestives. Mmm. In you go. Now, close your eyes while I put it back. Thank you. The new Huntley and Palmer chocolate digestives, made with thick chocolate, English wholemeal flour, and a bit more care. Hey, Matt, will you get that? Uh, sure. Oh, look who it is.
Okay. Martin Kina, Tom Reed, welcome to 50 Years of Fun. Thank you. Thank you. So um, we start all of these off the same way. And, um, you know, we're talking about the Where the Traffic Goes and Mr. Magic single, and then also just about the band in general. But can you paint us a picture of around the period when this single was recorded? Gosh, yeah, it was a very exciting time for us. I mean, it's uh, when it was recorded. We had obviously spoken to Jim, so we had had our yeah. first single released, which was a really big thing for us. You know, getting your getting your music onto onto vinyl, a tangible um, piece of uh, something to put on your record player and play. And we were got we was being swept up in the create the start of the creation movement. And it was a big part of our social life. We were every week. We were going to see different bands at the living room with, um, and we were playing there quite a lot as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what was it? You know, that time for you, Tom. Fun at the time for you. What was it like? I just remember um, spending virtually every single weekend in the living room, um, yeah. being in- introduced to new bands. No, quite exciting, especially because we. No, we. I personally come down from Aberdeen. Uh, we'd met Martin. And uh, started playing in the band, started going to these places. It was quite exciting. It was, it was, it was really cool. Yeah, we were always active. And it was yeah. funny because there was a lot of people there that we used to meet. A lot of them were Scottish as well. And obviously, us coming down from Scotland, there's quite a few bands, other bands, obviously, mm. Alan himself. Mm. Um, right. With Biff Bampow and the Primals and the Jesus and Mary Chain and all those boys. They were, they were all sort of Scottish. So it was, quite, it was a, little, a little thing going on. So it was quite cool. Yeah, I remember before and after gigs meeting up and then traveling on the underground together with guitars and everything like this and messing around. It was quite <laughs> it sounds, great. Yeah, it it sounds, I like I like hearing about it because it's exactly how we romanticize it, sort of. But in it, yeah. it seems like everyone's good friends and having fun just meeting. I remember everybody. chatting to Jim Beatty and that we were sort of saying, "How how did you get into you know music and all this sort of stuff and influences and." What's a, what a big thing, you know, Jar Wobble was on our space player sort of thing, getting into music for oh, via yeah. him, you know, public image. Yeah. I was going to say, know, um, as well, when we used to get the tube home and all that, I always remember Martin in particular, because Martin was always famous for carrying his bass in a bin liner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when I say case, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't really a case, it was basically a black bin liner. Yeah. Breaking back out, you know what I mean? So it was, uh, it was terrible. <laughs> it was a bit like that. That's, that's the sort of thing that was going on. Sacrilege. That's, 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 uh, that's a, a punk bona fide using, yeah. A, yeah. using, a, using a garbage bag for your, for your guitar. Um, so, so, so Tom and Jim met really early on. Like you met uh, in school, is that right? Yeah, yeah, me and Jim went to school together, or well, slightly different classes, but yeah, we all went, we all went to school together uh, in Aberdeen, a place called Linksfield Academy. And and so, who all met in in Aberdeen? Um, was it just was it just you, Tom, and uh, Jim, Jim and Tom? No, me, myself, uh, Jim, and Adam, Adam Sanderson. We all met in Aberdeen, and we had a lad called um, Stephen uh, Wilson who used to play bass for us. And eventually, when we came down to London, it was me who originally came down to London, and then Jim and Martin, sorry, Jim and Jim and um, and Adam, sort of followed a couple months later, and ended up looking for another bass player. I think not. If I'm being remember right, Steve came down with us, bass player. Didn't like it. Wasn't up for it. Headed oh. back. Headed back to Aberdeen. 
And then we we sort of got involved with a couple of other people, other bands. I met Martin at a rehearsal studio. Mm. I thought, this looks good. We needed a new bass player. And yeah, we got on, yeah. And we got on really well, so that was it. Basically, we joined the band. That's it. In the band. Were you in another band, Martin? Yeah, I was... I used to, uh, I had an interest from school in bass and things like that. And so my brother, he was at electrical college with a, a bass player who had an association with Alaska Studios. He used to work there and do session playing. So this guy called Keith, I used to sometimes go down there, just chat to him and he'd you know, show me a little bit on the bass and stuff like that. So I got to know him, and then he said, "Oh, there's a band that wants, uh, you know, a bass player. Do you want to have a join them sort of thing? It was just like a casual little punk band." So I said, "Okay, then." So I used to play with this band. We never had any gigs or anything. They just used to rehearse, and their drummer was very unreliable. And Tom lived near them and used to sit in, and that's how I met Tom. So Tom used to come in and play. And I thought, oh, he can play drums, where the other guy couldn't play drums at all. So um, we got on. <laughs> and then obviously when, when the Jasmine Minks wanted a bass player, Tom said, oh, do you want to come and play? So that's basically that's how it great. happened. We know Alaska Studios from so many records being recorded there, but that was also a rehearsal space? Yeah. Yeah. It, okay. uh, it started off as a rehearsal with a four-track recorder, tape recording machine, and then it went to an eight track and then they got bigger and went to 24 track. I remember that. And they built then two recording studios, but primarily it started off as mainly as a rehearsal space under the arches near Waterloo station. Mm -hmm. Very, cool. very damp. And, and, <laughs> of course. <laughs> it used to sting. Uh, yeah. yeah it sting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so did uh, Tom, did you and, Jim and Adam all plan on moving to London together, like for the band. Was it like a band decision to like actually pursue that? It was romance. No, no, it wasn't. I met <laughs> I met somebody, and I um, it was a long way to go from Aberdeen to London, and we used to get I used to get the night train down there, and one day I went down, and I basically just didn't come back. <laughs> wow, and, wow. I did. That was a bit basic. So I, I ended up going come going back home, um, packed my job in, came back down to London. Um, hadn't planned it, didn't expect um, Jim and, and, the, and Adam to come down, but just kept in contact with them. And it was, it was probably about six months later, or maybe less, three months. They just said, hey, you know what, let's go. And they just came and joined me. And then from there, we just started finding rehearsal places mm. um, and, and just uh, starting to band up again, really. Okay. And so, so it wasn't like, so when you were back in Aberdeen, it wasn't like, um, it sounds like at that point it was like the band was more just fun. You weren't really like pursuing, um, it more of a, of a real thing to like try to pursue putting out records and that kind of thing. No, I don't think so. No, we, I don't think we were thinking of that at all, which as I say, I moved there, they joined me. We, we just kind of do what we're doing. We're playing enjoying ourselves it was more for fun than anything else i'm being honest I mean, we didn't think oh let's go to london and um sign a record deal or anything like that that's not yeah, what yeah, happened yeah. just it was coincidental we all just sort of arrived in london and it was i suppose a bit of luck i mean i i can't even remember exactly how well i do how we um, um, eventually got to, to to meet alan alan mcgee was through the there's an NME competition yeah and, and we sort of put a tape in a cassette a tape 
um, of a couple of songs, and Alan really liked it because he was judging it for the enemy, I think, and he he came to Alaska Studios to, to hear us, and he, he loved it. But we, yeah, it. we did some recording in Brixton, didn't we, in that guy's yeah. house? Yeah, we did a few about four or five songs. Yeah, and that was that. That was part of it. So it was that a great plan? So, but so, it, it just things just happened. <laughs> Yeah, and and so the, now for this specific single, so this is the second single. Um, any particular memories of recording it or the session or anything like that? Yeah, it was a lot, a lot of the stuff we did early on. It was very much we did a lot of stuff very live. So I, I like can it. remember because money was tight, and so what we used to do was just just go in there and virtually play it as we would play it at a gig. And then add the vocals and little bits and incidentals, guitars or whatever, as overdubs. But it was primarily we. I remember we used to spend a lot of time trying to get the drums sounding right. And then that was all finished, and and like the clock was ticking. So we get in there, play it a couple yeah. of times, and then go right, take, and that's it. And that's the way we used to do it. And it kept. The and cost did down. you? How was recording? How was recording with Joe Foster? It was. It was interesting. Because I think, bless Joe, he, was, he wasn't he was really a producer. He was, Alan, I suppose, was finding his feet. Everyone must have been finding their feet. And Alan just said, oh, just go down and produce this record. And, and Joe really, I think the engineers used to get a bit frustrated with him because he really, all he really did was he knew about the tone. So he'd either increase the treble or decrease the bass or opposite, you know, vice versa. <laughs> uh -huh. The thing, he did have a little bit of an input. He was getting a little bit better. He did have a little input at the end. We, I think I remember Jim saying that we, at the end of Traffic Goes, we wanted a big burst, a big explosion. And I don't know what happened to yeah. it on the, on the mix. But I remember we dropped an amplifier to make the spring reverb in oh, Echo yeah, and sure. that to give it a bit of an impact. But that's lost on the record. I can't hear that it's at funny. all. It's funny. It, 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 it's it. it it, it's it, that ending is so i mean the that ending of that song is so wild it's just like you can hear yeah. you guys are just like going going for it i mean that's i mean tom my i was actually talking to a friend of mine telling telling me we were doing this interview and he was like well tell him that drums on where the traffic goes is like my favorite drum part ever like it's so it's so raging i it's really fun to listen to you know what i think um when we used to go and record but we're quite frantic, if I'm being honest. You just have to listen to the songs, think. Mm. It's very frantic. We were learning lots yeah. of stuff as well, obviously. We weren't used to being in studios. We hadn't been in any studios mm. um, at all. I certainly hadn't. And then so we were learning lots of stuff. And, yeah, the drums and that, as I say, I, at the time I was listening to stuff like Northern Soul and definitely the the, the, the sort of beat in it, the, the beginning is got that Northern Soul sort of yeah. stompy sort of beat. Right. And then it's all a bit frantic. And um, listening to bands like I was loving bands at the time like the Bards oh. and and you know We the People and it, the Buzzcocks and all the sort of bands we were listening to or I certainly was oh. and you know, had that fast frantic like almost Ramones um, oh. three two one. We used to have a bit of trouble at our time yeah. as well. Is the drift in and out a little bit, but that was just <laughs> well. Yeah, only, only the best ends do. <laughs> yeah, we did discover kick tracks. <laughs> but I think that's the nice thing about it. It is a bit, it is a bit, it is a bit frantic. That's why it's um, it, it yeah. is what it is, as you say. It's got that. It's a live it, recording. Yeah, it's a live recording. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's and it's and everything sits just 
really well in it. It's it, everything bubbles up and down like one, one it's some part of it, the guitar is the loudest and the drums. It's just, it's, I think it's just, it's, it's about as be- good as you can get from a live recording. We used to love playing it live. Uh, Cause we, I, I really do hang on Jim when he's playing and uh, we used to, we've played that song. It's virtually one of the only songs we've played throughout our sort of like career. We still play it now. Oh, really? Yeah. And I remember we used to sort of rock out for at the end of it and extend it sort of thing, go into sort of like. Oh, yeah, sure. What were we used to, yeah, we used to do like, we just used to finish it and go to this um, sort of mashup of different songs. I would sing, I would sing Away From The Numbers. Uh, the vocals. <laughs> okay. well, number, Jim would be singing Rouse Rumble by the fall, and we just you in, in sometimes yeah. um, all sorts of mixed up songs at the end. We just jam basically. Yeah, just that's great. Just jam for about like maybe another three minutes. And we were so in tune with each other, Tom, Jim, and I particularly, that we knew what each person was going to do, sort of thing, which was really good. Yeah, yeah. We had I, a think, good I think that that's that really that that you know, above all really has always stuck out to me that, um, you know, among all of the early creation bands or creation bands in general, the Jasmine Minx really seems like a band band, like more yeah. so than, uh, you the, know, the a songwriter house. with a songwriter with a few, you know, replaceable people. It's like a, a solid band and you can really yeah. hear it, hear it on the records. I mean, live particularly, we had some really good, uh, performances live that wowed people you know big crowds and because we were so connected i think we came on so powerfully but it never really transitioned into recording i didn't think it, mm. it, it transit the power of of a live performance didn't really we did, couldn't get that down on on record which was unfortunate if we'd had yeah, maybe a be hard. Be hard. And a good producer we could have done something maybe but it was, it was mm. i mean i i love um, the sound of these early of 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 these singles, but I, you know, it's funny. Like, I think when we asked Jim, uh, you know, what he thought about Joe Foster's recording of the, of the think single, he was like, Oh, we didn't like it at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, poor Joe, he, he was, he was put, he was just put into that position. I think had he, it was a good opportunity. I was saying to Tom earlier, I said it was a really good opportunity for um, Joe, if he'd been really inclined to be, to be a producer, because it's a separate, career of your own sort of thing to be a producer i think he could have learned the studio craft and he could be you know could have done something through the 80s and 90s with it and you know been a big in-house producer for creation maybe but he didn't really have that um acumen sort of thing mm-hmm. now did anything change from like what what so you've got the first single out now the second single were you getting bigger crowds now that around the time of this single came out or was it about the same we were. It was. I think uh, the buzz around um, the living room was getting bigger, and I do remember we did play not just the living room. We played bigger venues, and so we were doing lots of. Yeah. We did like the student circuit, didn't we? We went to universities and stuff. Yeah, the country. Yeah, places like Leeds University, Nottingham University. There's lots of places like that we're playing. Yeah. Um, and getting yeah, getting decent crowds and starting to play with other bands. We did a lot of gigs at the time with people like Biff Bumpow, with Primal Scream, with um, the three or four of us used to play quite regularly together. Yeah. Um, and we'd go, you know, we in Germany on tour with them as well. It was in Berlin and, and places like that, which was which was mental. 
Mm. It was really cool. Yeah, that, that but, tour is legendary. When we were in Berlin, that was before the Berlin Wall came down. So it was quite quite an exciting place to be. You know what I mean? It was really we drove there for I think it took us thirty six hours. Oh, that was crazy from oh London in the back of a van. Drove in the back of a van. We used to have a thing called back of the van Titus. It used to make you go a bit yeah. doolally. It was October. It was freezing, <laughs> and one of the vans, the I think the driver didn't have a window or something. Yeah, I remember when we when he picked us up at Harris. <laughs> Hooker Holland, that's it. When he picked us up a Hooker Holland, he had like a flying hat on. And I thought, what's he got that on? It was like a coat. And when we got in the van, there was no window. Uh, yeah. Uh, that, that. Character um, building. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Certainly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and um, you know, going, going back to uh, – the first single, I, I thought it was really interesting that Martin brought up Jaw Wobble as being an influence because very notably, our big question that we wanted to ask Jim and that is about having a fretless bass on that first single. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and how it seems odd, but it's such a big part of the sound and it's really mm. loud in the mix in a really mm. cool way. And at, at first I was, we were wondering, Scott and I have been friends for, you know, mm. 25 years or something. And we were always like, this has always bothered me. Is that a fretless bass? And Jim was like, <laughs> yeah. it is. Uh, yeah. And he said that there was a good story about this bass. Well, I bought that bass at a secondhand shop off Labrick Grove about 1979. It's a 73 precision. And what I did was, because I was listening to all sorts of different music, you know, Jack, because my, my brother's older than me, he had different sort of music. He had Jack Pastoris and all that sort of stuff. And I used to listen to these yeah. other bass players. And I, and I was a bit nerdy about music, I suppose. I used to buy, occasionally buy this rep magazine called International Recording and Music Star or something, or Music Paper or whatever it was. And it used to show how to do um, – recording techniques and everything like that and I'm, i've got one of them and it's got a, an interview with mick khan from japan and oh yeah right play fretless all the time so yeah. one of my cousins said oh yeah i've got a couple of his albums so i listened to some of them and i thought oh that's really interesting sound and all that sort of stuff so i was very interested in fretless bass i was very interested in double bass and all that sort of stuff and getting the real tone and sound so i thought oh, i'll go down to uh a guitar shop it was andy's guitar shop in denmark street and went into there and i said oh can you take the frets off this and uh the guy said yeah no problem so he took them off and he just left little wooden markers where the where the frets would be but uh yeah when we recorded i remember recording thing and the engineer they had this harmonizer even tied harmonizer it was called there's this like box sort of thing that used to play around with and he put it through that, and that's what gave it that sort of really spatial sort of sound to it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. The harmonizer that you put on it. Because yeah. it's not the kind of instrument that you affiliate or associate with, with like yeah. rate pop music, like raging music. I mean, Japan, it makes sense because there's so much room yeah. in that band. But it's yeah. a funny thing to hear on like a almost like a mod pop song. It is. Yeah. It's, it's a bit out of place, really. But I used to. But, but it worked. It worked. It did. It worked on Think. And I think what happened with that as well was I I used to sometimes when we'd, we'd play um, songs, I used to find some of the like the guitar drums, there used to be like big openings for something in the middle sort of thing. There was something missing. So I tried yeah. to fill it in with lots of intricate bits of bass and stuff like that. I tried mm -hmm. to get a bit simpler as the time went on, but I used to try and do little diddly little bits all over the place. 
just because to me, to <laughs> my ear, it used to be like there's empty voids here to be filled. It sounds like for this single though, the frets were were reinstalled. Yeah, they yeah. were. Because <laughs> <laughs> it didn't. Sometimes it <laughs> didn't. It? I thought doesn't sound great live, so I thought I'll put the frets back on. I've tried that. Yeah, I've I was wondering. Have you taken the frets off again or are they do you know? No. I've often thought about getting another fretless, but no. Around the time that, you know, all of this stuff, like because we're covering this so slowly, it seems like years, but this is all within the span of a year or two. So Cold Heart uh, was an earlier song, but then comes out a little bit later. Is that right? Yeah, I think Cold Heart was part of this. About the same time it was written, wasn't it? Or was it earlier? Cold Heart? I think it was about the same time, yeah. Yeah. Because uh, Traffic go- it was Traffic Goes was a, a very much an Adam and Jim co- uh, combination, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, we- Adam, Adam, uh, yeah Adam wrote the lyrics, didn't he? And Jim, Jim did the music. Okay. Um, and who's, and, and who's singing? Is, is, is it Jim singing it or Adam? I can't quite tell sometimes. No, Jim's singing it. Yeah, Jim's okay. singing it, and I, I do all the some backing, backing vocals. The answering, right? And the I yeah. So, so you're you're you were a big part of the vocals too. I kind of forget about that, Tom. Yeah, no, I I sing and even listen back to that song, which we did today when we got together. I thought we better listen to it first. Um, <laughs> and I, yeah, I did all the all the backing vocals, and 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 always have done and singing as well. And they're singing, playing the drums, singing drummers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, you're you're in fine company. Yeah. All the callbacks and all the all the other backing vocals I generally do. As I said before, listening to I used to love listening to people like the Bards and and the Beatles who always play have got fantastic harmonies and Beach Boys. Yeah. So you can sort of ish our version of it almost. Right. And sure. me and Jim have always done that. We've always sung together. We've always harmonized sort of things together in songs or tried to. Two, mm. three part harmonies or whatever. Um, it all comes from that, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and Jim had mentioned Jim. We we were we were asking briefly <clears throat> about Adam. He seems like he doesn't really talk to him anymore. Do you are any of you in touch with him at all? No, we're not, not really. really no. no, I I we when Adam we did had a reconnect, didn't we, a few years ago? And uh, I mean, Adam's a nice guy, but he 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 can be difficult. I think sometimes I just say you know you have to give him some space and some tolerance sort of thing yeah, because right. he is what he is and don't don't take it too seriously because uh I, he's got a fantastic you know fantastically fertile mind some of the lyrics he used to write were, were astounding mm-hmm. i couldn't get you know get my head around yeah, cold heart, lyrics and cold heart for starters yeah, i just think that's not a great thing yeah. yeah, you know, it's, it's Adam's lyrics, one hundred percent. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's it's very good. Yeah, that's something that Jim really pointed out. Is he he was just like you know when he would look at his lyrics, he was like, you know, he sounded like he was just so impressed and almost kind of intimidated by like the lyrics that Adam was writing. And it, yeah. I'm guessing it really pushed him to really, really make his lyrics as as great as he could. Very intelligent man. I mean, he went to a very good school as well. I think he went to a private school. So he was quite well read and very well educated. So uh, I admired him for that. And, and his, his, his mind was really, he was very eccentric, Adam. He was really eccentric oh, sort of eccentric, guy. Yeah. And I don't know whether or not, maybe he might have been a bit bipolar or something like that, because he was very up and up and then he would be down, you know. So maybe that has caused a bit of friction with people. But I used to say just, you know, he is what he is. And that's, that's, 
Every band has someone like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's the guy that yeah, gets I mean, along with everybody. Then there's the guy that gets along with nobody. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can sometimes see that, that lots of bands have always got sort of eccentric creatives. And that's what, that's what makes sometimes a spark. I'm sure like, you know, the likes of Jim Morrison and somebody who's very self-destructive in the doors, but very, very bright man, well-educated. And his lyrics, you know, were, were off the wall as well sort of thing. But you, you could see, and he went into self-destruct, didn't he, really? But uh, Adam could, uh, could, I suppose, go down the same route. But he was very, they used to call him a bit of a fantasist and that, didn't he? He used to make up stories and things. But huh. I don't know. They used to call him, his nickname was Han Christian Sanderson. Wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. That's why we do these, to get the, that kind of tidbit. <laughs> but that's all sort of part of creativity, as far as I, I can see. Yeah. Well, you know, one of my favorite pictures of the Jasmine Minx is the picture where you're all laying on the ground. It's on the back of the one of the albums. Oh, yeah, yeah. And everybody's face is like really telling and Adam's got this sort of bemused, like ironic look on his face. You know, Jim is smiling. It's just a really, it seems yeah. like all the personalities are jump, sort of jumping out of that, of that picture. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was a fun guy to be. I used to go out, you know, drinking with him, just a pair of us sometimes. It was, we had some wild nights. He's a funny guy. Now that, that period. So cold heart comes out. Um, and you know, that's the, your, your most successful single and really seems like the vocal connection there is really beautiful on that single and then the yeah. band breaks up right after that can you talk a little bit about that time where where adam leaves the band didn't break up i mean but but adam leaves and they continue could you talk a little bit about that that happened well was that, was it germany? Uh, germany with yeah. a big bust up i suppose happened in germany and it was i suppose because of adam being so different i think it did cause some sort of friction Maybe Adam wasn't content in the band and there was a bit of throwing the toys out of the pram sort of thing with him. But uh, And I think it got to a point where we just got, okay, we've had enough of this sort of thing. You, We're not, we're going to call you bluff now. And I wasn't really involved in the leaving because I, I was chatting to a load of people sort of thing. I knew things were bubbling on. And I think who had a big bust? Must have been Jim. And was it you, Jim? Had I, a big bust that I think so. Yeah, and it all just came down to I think what you said. Um, it was maybe, like, oh, Jim, maybe, yeah, maybe you should just go. And, it's got, okay. and then Jim said to me, "Do you think? Do you think Adam should be out of the band?" And I said, "You know, I'll go with whatever the the, the majority feels because I, I knew there was friction going on, but I did miss his creative input." And at the same time as then as well, I think as well. Remember, Dave Muscar was playing with as well. Now yeah. Dave, Dave's keyboard yeah. went pear shaped. Something happened to it. Uh, completely broke down. So within maybe like a day, we were down to the three of us. So D oh, Dave gosh. left, Adam left. So I had to carry on the, the rest of the, the gigs in Germany just with me, Martin, and Jim. And I, I do remember sometimes the recording process was being being a, being a bit more frustrating because he was struggling recording adam and i remember jim had to do quite a lot of his guitar stuff to record it i remember huh. that it was causing a bit of you know i think maybe adam was feeling a bit bad about that but yeah it just we didn't the three of us jim tom and i were very close and adam was sort of on the the periphery sort of thing mm -hmm. i think it yeah. just gently and then when uh when an, when you record another age that's with without without Adam. Um, yeah. and you know, I think we talked to Jim about this a little bit, but 
you know, Jim, it sounds like kind of like changes his, because he's not singing with Adam anymore. His, his singing changes a little bit. And I'm wondering if Tom, if during that period, if you had to become more active in the, in the singing part or, or change your approach to the way you were doing vocals with Jim, once you did another age. I think, no, I think I did. I started to sing in in more songs and and started singing um, lead vocals and songs as well. So I shared it a little bit with Jim. Jim was obviously the main singer, the songwriter, and he would uh, sing most of the songs. But I, I started stepping up the mark a little bit, singing uh, uh, the lead vocals and then doing more of the harmonies and, and the rest of the songs and just being a little bit more involved. So, but, you know, as I said before, we always used to do that anyway. We always used to try to do yeah. as much harmonies as possible on the songs. Um, but it pushed you more into the Yeah, it certainly yeah. pushed me forward a little bit more. Yeah. I think it did Jim as well because he had to all of a sudden be the only songwriter, really. Yeah. Um, and in in sort of like you say, I think he changed his wealth, his 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 voice, um, his attitude, and everything sort of changed. He was a lot more positive, and um, it came across. I think a lot more in the songs. He he mm-hmm. took more, you know, more responsibility basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and you can hear it in the songs. No, he's, he wrote some great songs. That's a great underrated, really, really great album. I love it. Oh, yeah. Thank you. What we ask uh, everybody when they're on the show, a few questions. So I want it would be fun to ask both of you across nope. your whole musical career. What are, what performance or recording or, you know, anything are you the most proud of? Oh, mm. right. When do we, I did like recording with Adam at some point. Uh, when we're <laughs> Berlin, <laughs> fantastic. If you actual I mean, a, a, a actual recording a, a song or you know, it doesn't um, matter. Just like what what sticks out to you when you just look back, where you're like, I felt I was I remember that moment where I felt like oh, I did a great job, or this came out amazing, or I heard this single or album and was just like, this is cool. What's happening? I quite like, like recording. Yeah, I'm quite proud of that. That single, yeah, both sides of it. Yeah, it was very good. I remember we we the engineer we had was uh, was fantastic helping the on the input. He was doing a little bit of production for us as well. But I was very all very fast and frenetic as well. Uh, I liked recording that. The, the what was that place we played in in um, Hammersmith? We played at Riverside. No, not Riverside. We played a, a gig at a, a place in Hammersmith. Been knocked down there, the Clarendon. Clarendon, or not the venue, the Clarendon. Oh, we played this um, gig at a place. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Called the Clarendon. It's knocked down now. There must have been about five hundred people there, but that was one of our most powerful gigs because I think the other bands that came on weren't very good and weren't holding the crowd very well. We came on, and it was like you know there was a huge change in the feeling of the atmosphere. And I thought, blimey, that's that's a real impression on me how you can change an audience to be into you. Right, because we had been playing. I think we'd been on tour for about fourteen days or something, and we'd been playing night after night after night after night and night. We got so tight that we could just, you know, do it blindfolded sort of thing. And the timing was bang on. There was no gaps between songs and all this sort of stuff. So it's times like that I remember being thinking, "God, this is this is really good." Um, uh, There was a creation sort of like night. At uh, the Town and Country Club up in up in Camden Town, 
Mm. And that was a great night because that was like all the bands were playing. It was almost like one of, like a, a, a creation party. Yeah. And there was um, there was a lot lot of people. That was quite a big venue. And I remember that that really enjoying that gig and just thinking, yeah, this is fantastic. You know, you're there with your friends with all the other bands who were mates with. It was just a real that was one of those one off yeah. like yeah. moments. Probably was never gonna happen again because all the bands were playing. And yeah. We right. Played. Living room before we playing at living room, and all of a sudden we're playing this really big venue, uh, and it was just like one of those great nights. You know what I mean? I remember letting Kevin Rowland in through the fire escape. He <laughs> <laughs> was on. He was on. He was, was not in the best of uh, places, I suppose, at that time. He was down on his luck, and he was trying to get in, so I let him in the fire escape. <laughs> oh my god, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Morrissey, I remember once. Yeah, we played in the living room once, and uh, I looked up, and Morrissey was standing there in his raincoat, looking at us play. I thought, blimey! <laughs> <laughs> that was about eighty-four. That was quite yeah, early. Yeah, that was quite early. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, next question: favorite records on Creation? Any era doesn't matter. Favorite records on Creation that you had nothing to do with? Well, uh, I don't know. Well, one of my favorite records, and it's obviously the namesake of your show, is 50 Years of Fun, is Biff Bang Pow. Um, in my opinion, probably at the time, was was, was the, the best live creation band that I used to play really? with. Really? Really? Interesting. Yeah, they were always really, really good. Mm. Always good live. Always good live. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I just used to love uh, listening to them. Uh, Bodines as well. It was another band that I sort of like liked at the time, um, and we used to go and watch them quite a lot. I did like Shine On by the House of Love, and I don't think uh, felt Penelope Tree. Well, that wasn't on. Was that on? I think that's Cherry Red still. Yeah, yeah. They're... I did quite like Felt. Yeah, they were great. Yeah. yeah. The I you know that that has been you know Scott and I have both been huge Bit Bang Pow fans for many many years and it's always just kind of alarming to us uh, that they just haven't really gotten their due um and yeah 100 there's just there's so many good songs and it's really cool to hear that they were actually a good live band because you know alan will probably seems like he'll never pick up that guitar again it just doesn't seem, it seems like it wasn't important yeah. to him, but maybe that's just in hindsight I thought, yeah, they were very good live, actually. Yeah. Even though they went through quite a few changes of some. Yeah, that's the thing. They seem very elastic as far as who's in the band. Yeah, and, and the... because I think I rehearsed with them once. I remember up in Dick's flat. I think it was with Alan. We were rehearsing up there once. I remember when over there, Seven Sisters. That was it. Yeah, well, it, was, it was only a couple of weeks ago. We was up in Camden Town, and it was a, it was a, a tribute concert for Pat Fish and obviously right. from the Jazz Beach. Yeah, um, and. The, the, all the Biff Bang boys, boys were there. It's the first time I've seen him ages. Dick Green was there. Dave Evans was there. Ken, Ken Popper was there. Um, apart from Marlin, basically, that, the whole band was there. So it was just, it was really nice just to catch up with them because I hadn't spoke to them for, again, like you say, probably 20 years. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think it was Ken that said, hey, we're all here. We could play. And it was just like silence. Yeah, it's a, no, that's a TVP. Yeah, yeah. That TV, there's a TVP's gig. Yeah, that, that that everyone ended up at Biff Bang Pow was all there. And he was the only one that wanted to do. Oh it. Yeah, yeah, we were there. Yeah, yeah, we were there. Yeah. No, Alan won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe if we talk about it enough, he'll feel <laughs> yeah. pressured. 
pressure to do it. Yeah, a bit like Oasis reunion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oasis with the Thing Power opening, maybe that would be. <laughs> Um, and so can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, there's, there's been a new Jasmine Minx album in the works. Is that correct? Yeah, there is. And it's been torturous. It's, um, we, we started, it was like pre, it's almost like at the start of the pandemic. And we, we did some, we, I think we've got about, I've got about six bass tracks down. But we we were hoping to start it again throughout the year, but f- through one thing and another, we couldn't get our act together. But um, Jim has done quite a bit to it, and we've sent the files to the studio. So what we intend to do, what if hopefully early next year, is get into the studio and put the bass for the rest of it and the drums down, and hopefully, and then mix it. That's so amazing. hopefully, yeah. I, I remember. Yeah, no, I was going to say we should have got it done by now. To be fair, I've been lagging. Uh, everyone's honest for whatever reasons. Um, about like about like not getting back to you on on your texts. Yeah, it's like well, it's, it's happening now. Dave no. has been lagging as well a little bit. We've all been guilty. So. A bit of lagging. Yeah, but it, it, it will happen. And uh, some great songs there. And. Um, as, as Martin said, Jim's done quite a lot of the work already in Walter, and um, mm. it's just a case of us finding that time to go in bass drums. I've got a lot of vocals to do, and hopefully, it should it should be out next year. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, all these singles are incredible. Some of my some of my favorites. Um, appreciate you guys taking the time to uh, make this happen. Any last okay. words? No, <laughs> thank you very much for the opportunity. It's fantastic, and you know, after all these years. It's fun. It's great that we're still, you know, part of the creation history and people still like the music. I mean, I, I still play some of it now and I think, God, it was re- sounds really good yeah, considering the way it was recorded. Thank, thanks so much for taking the time to do it. You're welcome. Yeah, we'll tell you when it's coming out. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. 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 Cheers. All right. Thanks for listening. If you want to send us Formica Tops demos, or maybe you just want to tell us that you like the show, you can find us at 50yearspod at gmail.com. That's F-I-F-T-Y spelled out. We're also semi-active on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and don't forget about that Patreon. If you want to listen to all of creation number eight, please check the notes. Whenever possible, we'll include other cool stuff in there. Next episode, very exciting. We'll be talking with Pete Astor about creation number nine, The Loft, Why Does the Rain? Thanks to the Reds, Pinks, and Purples for our theme music. See you later.